Hey, so if you're listening to this, or you're not listening yet, but if you're listening to me talking, you're about to hear a lecture from Psychology, also Biology, 2606, Introduction to Behavioral Neuroscience for the fall term of 2023. How in the hell is it 2023? That means I'm 58 years old, and I imagine that makes me old. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this, but, uh, you know, if you're one of my students, great. Uh, I'm glad you're doing this, and I do this for you. If you're somebody else listening, I really don't care what you think, but uh, actually, it's pretty great because I'm really good at this. Enjoy. Now I can see why, well, actually that's not true, but I can kind of see that. So today we're talking about cells and genes. Uh, that's, there are two, two topics that are related. That's why they're together. They're actually two separate things. I will say that the idea is to get through all the cells stuff today and then do the gene stuff on Monday. But if we get through the cell stuff, we can start the gene stuff. It's not like it's gonna kill us. Uh, we did lose that one class, but I'm not concerned about keeping up with time. Like, we'll be fine. Uh, okay. Let's do that, and so it begins. So, um, we ta I talked a little bit about neurons and glial cells last time. I think I mentioned they existed. <laughs> That's, so, when I say we talked about them a teeny bit, it was a teeny bit. Uh, so today that's what we're talking about. Let's get into some detail about the cells that make up your nervous system. And when I say your nervous system, they also make up other animals' nervous systems. It's not like we have a, some special kinds of cells. Yeah, I'll just leave it out where it is. Uh, <laughs> so neurons are the basic information processing unit of the nervous system. So if someone asks you what a neuron is, this is part of a definition. So think about a test. Let's say one of the definitions said neuron. I would start with that. That would be my opening sentence of my little definition thing. And I like that because you have a half a page to do a definition. And you'd say neurons are the basic information processing unit of the nervous system. That's, there you go, That's, there's some points already. God damn, this thing keeps coffee hot. Bill Dude, you know Dude, Dr. Dude? Yeah. Uh, he, he actually burned his lip on, this, on coffee from one of these mugs once. We got these really nice mugs but they worked almost too well. And then we end up burning ourselves. I don't want this spilling on my computer. I'll put it over here. Um, it may in fact be the case that single neurons can control behavior and store information. A single cell. There's a lot of ways this could happen. It would basically, almost certainly, be with uh, different genes being expressed by that, that given cell. Um, we don't tend to think of single cells as things that control behavior. We tend to think of neuron networks of neurons, neural networks. They can be very small neural networks. If you think about the, do the, the moth and the bat, that's an incredibly simple neural network. Right? This is an amazingly simple neural network. There's complicated ones, you know, and things like us. 
But also in other dynamics, there's more complicated, there's complicated ones as well. So it's not just us that have complicated neural networks and everything else is simple two and three cell things. Uh, so anyway, this is, if I was defining neuron, I would start with neurons, the basic information processing unit of the nervous system. That's, the, that's what I would say. I might draw a picture. You can draw pictures. Uh, if, you, if you're any good at drawing, if you can't draw, the worst thing you can do is draw a bad diagram. Because I'm just going to look at it and go, I don't know what this is. You know, so in other words, if you're me, you don't do that. Because if I was to draw, I'll show you, you, know, you, you, you want to see what it looks like when I draw a neuron? <coughs> this is what it looks like. And I kid you, I'm going to do my best. It always ends up looking like a really weird deformed moose. Uh, so there's the axon, right? There's dendrite, there's cell body in there. There's the nucleus. So I don't, that's why the, the, the wonder of technology, I can just Google neuron diagram. And look, here's one now. Um, so this is kind of my favorite neuron diagram. What? That's fun. Here's one. It's good. I guess it looked like I was talking right to you when you came to this. So. Uh, yeah, so this neuron diagram, it's fine. Uh, there's lots of kinds of neurons, as you're about to, to find out. Uh, this is a nice generic neuron. This would be like this. You would not be surprised to find a cell that looked like this in any animal, in any animal nervous system. So what we have here is we have a cell body, right? Sometimes you hear that called soma. I usually say cell body because soma makes me think of the book Brave New World, which is a great book, but it's a whole different thing. Um, in the cell body, you've got the nucleus, which contains the genetic material. Okay. Um, you've got an axon. Note there's one axon and there are many dendrites. One axon, many dendrites. So if you can draw this picture, this is a pretty good thing you can probably throw in your little answer if you're answering to neurons as well. You know, you don't want to take up all the whole page, but you know, just a little thing, show a picture, that's fine. Um, so that's dendrites are up here. They, okay, you're gonna find out shortly that this is a generalization in a bit, not entirely always true, but dendrites receive information generally, generally. And you can see that the flow of information, this is what the arrows are showing. And then it goes out to the next neuron through the axon. So you can see that you've got a lot of these little dendritic spines, they're called, they're, they're, which is a good term. Like, I mean, th those are good words. Like the, the, the dendritic spine is, I like that term. Because it, it actually makes some sense to me. It's not Latin. <laughs> uh, now, over here at the end of the axon, you've got what are called teleodendria. Excuse me? Teleo is touching. It's Greek. And dendria is, well, dendria. So it's touching the next day. It doesn't actually touch. You don't want them to touch. Neurons rarely touch. They don't really hardly ever. Yeah, please go ahead. So because of the axon? Or sorry, uh, yeah, yeah, or um, what was that called? The uh, synaptic uh, gap? The synapse, yeah. There's, there's a gap between uh, the axon and dendrite. Um, yeah. 
There's very rarely do they touch. It happens. <laughs> I'm thinking, I thought of a joke myself that none of you would get, so I'm not going to say. And it's not that funny. I mean, it's funny to me, but you have to be about my age, and that's a, like it's, it's real song. But the point is, they hardly, so what we would have here is we would have another neuron that would, we'd have another neuron that would be attached in all these places here. This is an incredibly simple neuron. You can see how the connections are, could be. Right, because coming in, you could have one, two, three, four. This is, by the way, the, the connections aren't only axon to dendrite. We tell you that in intro site to make your life easier. There's six other kinds of connections, but, sorry, seven. But here's the ones, let's just pretend it's all axon dendrite. So this would be 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17 possible incoming connections. And on the way out, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 22, 21, whatever I think, maybe I miscount. 21. So while there's one axon, it also branches off. One of the nice things, one of the interesting things, one sec, John, one of the things that axons have around them are these, what are called, it's, it's a myelin sheath, okay? And it's got this, they're basically, it's almost like fat, it's basically fat. And then there's gaps between the myelin sheath. And those gaps are the nodes of Ranvier. Or if you are American, the nodes of Ranvier. <laughs> I'll just spell that. You know, they're used to spelling French words, A-R-A-N-V-I-E-R, -E nodes of Ranvier. So that's there. Ranvier was a guy. Those are the nodes of Ranvier. That's not Ranvier. You don't make him a very small person. So that's, I mean, it's a very general diagram. Very general diagram. Uh, more complicated ones will come. John, you had a question. So um, does the uh, dendrite send any message through the axon or does the direction of impulse? Okay, that's a good question. That's actually a really good question. Does the dendrites ever send information or does it always go in the, in this, right, that's what you're asking? Yeah. Does it always go, the, and even if that's not what you're asking, that's what I'm gonna answer? Yeah. Uh, so if that's, that's a good question because you've been told, as I said, in intro psych, you've all been told that it goes dendrite to axon, dendrite to axon, dendrite to axon, and in fact, no, it's not that simple. You're gonna find out in a couple of weeks that it's not even remotely that simple. But that's a pretty, but a lot of it is. So that's a good starting point. You know how, there are other kinds of connections. I'm not gonna say what they are yet, but I can say yes, information can come out of dendrites. That's a very good question, because it's not just going to go this way, it actually can go that way. And axons can connect to other axons. And dendrites can connect to dendrites. And you know what else could happen? This dendrite could connect to this dendrite in the same neuron. So you can see how incredibly complicated these connections are. So we tell you about axon-dendrite connections because frankly, they're the easiest ones to understand. And I see some, I can see looks on some of your faces like, why do you not just tell us the truth in the beginning? <laughs> well, partially because I like to screw with you, but also mostly it's because see, this happens all the time in school. Do you remember in high school learning about atoms? And remember atoms were, they had a proton and some, and let's just do it, let's make it a simple one. 
hydrogen. So it's got a proton and it's got some it's got an electron rotating around it, orbiting like a like a planet. Except that that's bullshit. <laughs> the world doesn't work like that, right? In fact, you know, it's not actual beautiful orbits. They're quantum probability clouds. Excuse me. Remember, you learn that eventually. You like, sorry, they teach you that. They teach you that chemistry still in high school. No. What do they teach now? They just say, just show up on Google. Is that what? So, God, I said, there's a reason for that. Remember, you learn that. You went, well, why did you turn that? Because you wouldn't understood it in the first place. There's no way you would have got that when you were in grade nine. It would have made no sense. And you know what? The standard model works fine. Right? The idea with the electrons just going over like a, like a like planets around a star, it works. It's not correct, but it's a decent model. So it's the same sort of thing we're doing here, which is we tell you about one kind and we say that the, the information flows this way. And then we all kind of turn around and look at the board and go, well, kind of. Because it's more complicated than that. And you'll get some more complicated stuff in this class. And again, I'm not going to tell you the whole story because there's a whole bunch of calculus you can do that we're not going to worry about. Right? There's not going to be any math. Is that true? I don't think there's going to be any math that I can think of offhand. So, but if you go on with this stuff, sure, there's, there, there, there's a set of differential equations that describe uh, action potentials. It's just the way it is. So, this is true, but it's, it's not complete. Unlike the atom thing, which is actually the one thing that's not true. It's true that the direction, the, the direction of impulse generally goes like this, generally, but it can go in other ways too. Okay? All right. Okay, now it's actually reasonable temperature. I'm going to put the lid back on. Good question. All right. So here's some amazing neuron facts. Um, you're born with almost all of your neurons. It's so close to almost all that you get. You may have learned in intro psych that you're born with all of them. All of them in your central nervous system anyway. Neurons change with experience. So the neuron, neurons themselves change when you experience something new. And that experience, that doesn't have to mean, oh, I just had an experience, man. That could be because you stubbed your toe. That could be because you really liked the granola bar you just had. Or the granola bar you just had was rancid. Ooh, God, what a horrible thought. But it could be anything. You'll always, you'll hear people say, they'll get really worked up. You know, this changes your brain. Yeah, everything changes your brain. It's not that exciting when people say, well, you know, it changes your brain. So a friend of mine does uh, work on applied stuff with dogs, dog training, and very good at it. And she said people were complaining about shock collars. We can have a whole discussion about people. No, we won't. We're not going to have a discussion about it. I'm saying there are shock collars to train dogs. And the people who were against it said, well, it changes the dog's brains. She was like, well, yeah, so does when they piss. So does when they eat. So does when they wag their tail. Everything changes brain. 
right? So that's, it's never an argument with anything. But it, neurons change in experience, so they may make new connections or things like that. If they don't make connections, if they don't synapse, your neurons die. <clears throat> and there's programmed cell death. They're supposed to do this. These are incredibly complicated and resource-intensive things to maintain. We talked about how much oxygen and how much glucose that they use. And if that's the case, they're obviously very expensive. And if they don't connect to another neuron, they're just sitting there by themselves, they're of no use. Let them die. In fact, the next neuron, that, like one neuron synapses onto the other one, the next neuron actually releases a growth factor that turns off the program cell death. It releases something called NGF, neural growth factor. And when it releases NGF, that turns off the program that says, kill yourself. But if that connection isn't made, the neuron will die. Now, it's also the case that, you know, um, let's see here. Some neurons last longer than others. So for example, there are ones in your occipital lobe that detect depth. They, and what they're actually doing is they're detecting how far apart your eyes are. Not how far apart, but how, you know, like you got an angle, your eye here, eye here, let's go look at this little candle here. So if your eye's there and there, there's, there's this angle, right? So what, 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 there's part of your brain that detects the size of that angle, that angle X, okay? And that allows you to, to see depth. Well, the rest of you, not me, but the rest of you, sure it does. So the neat thing about that is there are part, there's a part of your, there are neurons in your occipital lobe that detect the size of that angle. But if they don't fire before, if they don't synapse and fire before they're about, you're about two years old, they just die. So mine are dead. Well, they're not, they aren't dead, they're gone. I imagine they're taken up now with hockey statistics and sarcasm. Yes? Um, so just with like, if they don't make connections, they die. So like yeah. if you're, like a neuron's axon isn't like, not connected, but connected. Yeah, to yeah, connect, when you say connected, I know you don't mean touching. <laughs> yeah, connected to another neuron. So if it's just kind of like floating by itself in a sense, It'll die. it just dies. Yeah. Because it can't send or receive. It can't, doesn't receive NGF, doesn't get neural growth factor, it doesn't get neural growth factor, it just dies. So if it, so neural growth factor, is that something that every neuron has it's what it, it does a lot of things. One of the things it does do is, in this case, the thing we're talking about is it is it sends a message to the to the neuron that's, that it's, that it is synapsed onto it. So A synapses to B. Okay. Now B sends a message to A saying we're connected. Don't die. I mean, in essence, it does that chemically, obviously. But that that's what happens there. No growth factor is other things too. Your neural growth, growth factor will come up again. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's exactly, you're right, that's exactly what's happening. Now, depending on the cell, for example, the ones in your occipital detect depth, they can last a couple, they, they, you know, they're, they're there when you're born, they're gonna be there until you're two or three. But if they don't fire, they'll die, or they'll get repurposed by something else in that case in the visual system. So yeah. um, there are ones in your, in your, in your uh, Broca's area that are there to detect 
or they're there for language, and you don't end up with a, if you don't use them to speak a language or do a sign language, whatever, before you're four or five, you don't, they don't make new connections anymore, and you have to learn a language differently, as many of us did when we learned a second or perhaps third or whatever language, uh, maybe in adulthood or, may, or, or something else like that, then you end up having an accent, for example. Please, go ahead. So for like, you said that there's different kinds of neurons. Mm -hmm. So do different kinds of neurons have like different, like kind of like death <laughs> times, like based yeah. on how long they are not connected yes. to something? Yes. Generally, yes. Yes. How many more times can I say just say yes? Yes. Yes. Is there a, sorry, is there a specific part of the neuron that releases the neural growth factor? That's a question I'm really answering to. Sorry. It's a good question, actually. You find that out. You find that out for four factors. Um, that was the best when the teacher didn't know the answer to question in school. Why don't you look that up for a thought? The other thing is, remember when you got to university and your prof went, I don't know. And you went, what? My high school teachers knew everything. But um, not all of them, but some of them. But yeah, I remember the, my first day is actually teaching intro psych, and I just I said, I don't know. And the student looked at me, and I went, well, I don't know. What do I want me to lie to you? And that's when I said, and also sometimes I I, I, I swear. They all kind of look at me. And I love doing that when I was teaching first year, because then I go and just rant, just F-bombs left and right. Let me see what happened. I used to be a lot different than I am now. Um, I still swear a lot, but I try to avoid it in class as mucking fudge as I can. <laughs> see what I did there? Switched them around. Can't get in trouble for that. Those aren't even words. Okay, mucking might be a word. All right. We can grow new neurons in our central nervous system. You've been told that you can't, and you basically can't. It's so few that it's basically none. But it does happen, and you will get growth in hippocampus, for example. Uh, might be only a few hundred a day. Billions of them, it might be a few hundred a day. In essence, it's you can't grow new ones. Oh, you had a question, John, as well? Or you know, yeah, I did have a question. Okay, that does. Neurons grow new ones in the central nervous system. Well, it's, what's it say there? We can grow new ones, but... That answers your question. So, does, so, so do neurons change with more experience? Well, you, that answer should be... They, these, these are all things that happen. Oh, yes, all these things. Yes, right. You can grow new ones. You can, but it's very small. They change the experience, yes. They make new connections, they die. Yes. Um, now, the genetic blueprint can be reopened. People get really excited about this. All I'm saying is that... DNA gets express, expresses proteins. People get really excited by these things. Oh, you know, it can reopen your genetic thing and the stuff and the, yeah, you mean it's gonna be proteins because that's what DNA does. People get really worked up over stuff. Are you seeing it's not completely determined from birth? Yeah, I never ever said it was. So just because this is the stuff that people who don't understand you can see here I'm kind of just, I'm getting frustrated that people don't exist who are talking to me right now. It's a bad sign. I don't mean I'm hearing voices. I'm just, <laughs> what I mean is that I've heard people say this, they get all excited. They're like, oh, but, you know, uh, so it's not just your genes, because, yeah, of course it's not. Don't get so excited. This happens all the time. 
Little quite cells. But it's cool because what happens is this mean this is one of the ways that experience could affect your uh, 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 any cell, a neuron or whatever. All right. Is it just your hippocampus that grow new neurons? Yeah. Let's just say yeah. Close enough. Let's just say yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you got brain damage, like if you got a bump in the head or. Uh, whatever, You're, it's not fixing itself, right? So I cut my thumb the other day, again with my mandolin, you know, and it's almost healed, it's all grown back. If I had a lesion in my brain, it ain't grown back. And you can see, even if it did grow back, if there's tens and thousands of connections between each neuron, how would it know how to rewire it? One of the things that I always kept, there's an episode of Star Trek. If there's always a possible Star Trek reference, there's always a Simpsons reference possible, Seinfeld, and Mad Men. That's just, the final one's just for me, because I've watched the show 32 times. But in Star Trek, there's an episode called Spock's Brain, which is roundly considered the worst episode in all of Star Trek. Yep. Though there's some other bad ones. Like uh, Code of Honor. I was, Code of Honor's pretty bad. I don't even want to talk about Code of Honor. Um, but... McCoy, remember no Dr. McCoy, he's operating, he's apparently putting Spock's brain back in. Spoiler alert, it's a show from 1968. People are spoilers. Anyway, that was me having an argument with somebody who wasn't saying anything today. I have a lot of personal problems. Just keep that in mind. Uh, means he's making all these noises. Jimmy, it's child's play. It's so simple. No, it's not. No matter how, many, how cool a device you put on your head, you can't rewire a brain. So axon and dendrites, they increase the cell, the, the, uh, cell surface area greatly. And the dendrites are even bigger due to the dendritic spine. So we saw that on that diagram, right? There's only one axon. And the, the start of the axon is called the axon hillock. Hillock is just a, a word, some archaic word that means hill. And it's called that, uh, I can go back to the, yeah, I'll, be, I'll, I'll come back to this in just a sec. Is that? There. So that's the axon hillock right here. So right about here. And then we have the dendritic spines here, which I talked about before. Okay. Let's go back, forward, rather. Blah, blah, blah. They change with time. Genetic brew plant, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Right, one axon, many dendrites, starts the axon hillock. And And then there's the branches of the axon, which that had, and those are called teleodendria, which just means touching the dendrite. Okay, it means touching the dendrite. It doesn't mean anything else. It's just very simple. You could call it touching the dendrite, but that'd be a bad name. Yep? Uh, so you pointed at the axon terminal branches when you talk about dendritic spines, so are yep. they in both? The terminals are at the very end of the spines. That's what they call terminals, right? Like a bus terminal, and it's the end. Okay. 
there's a terminal button, or you know, people, people call them a bouton, which, anyway, it's a weird term. That's at the end of the terminal. Um, this connects with the next dendrite, and there's that gap between axon and dendrite, and you're gonna find out next week sometime between a lot of other things too, <laughs> it's called a synapse. Please. Sorry. So no, no, like don't be sorry. The tips of the axon yes. is where it branches out. The tips of the branches, that's the teleodendria? Uh, the, the branches themselves are teleodendria, okay. and then we have the terminal button at the end. Yes. Okay. There's a gap, and that gap is called a synapse. Synapse is a Greek word, it just means gap. So when anybody says synaptic gap, they are being redundant. They are repeating themselves. They are saying the same thing over and over again. Anybody get the, what I was just doing there? I was doing the same thing. Um, it's like saying CD disc or ATM machine, one of my favorites. Well, you gotta get to the automatic killing machine machine? I have a lot of things that bother me for no reason, and that's on the list. So information basically <laughs> travels down from the dendrite to the axon to the next dendrite and so on. And again, it's not that simple. We'll get where, it, you know, I'll, I'll go a little further with it, but right now, that's, that's good for our purposes. And the principles of these synapses are the same if they're axon, dendrite, or some other kind as well. Okay, so it's not like they work differently, these different kinds of synapses, so it's okay to just talk about axon dendrite once for now. All right, let's talk about some kinds of neurons. Hey, here's some now. So, those pictures look awful. So we have, these are, this is a bipolar neuron. Sometimes it's really depressed, and other times it's really excited. It's a joke, it's a little, little psychology joke. Okay. Bipolar neuron. You have bipolar cells in your um, retina. Yeah. There's a bunch in your retina. Like, when I say a bunch, there's 130 million retina. <laughs> uh, they have a short axon and a short dendrite. So if you take a look at these guys here, pretty small. And they're sensory, as it says here, right? These are sensory neurons. They're, they're, they're detecting what is in the world and they're turning it into neural messages. That's what they do, that's their job. So here we have a bipolar neuron from the retina, here we have somatosensory neurons, and they're in your skin, your muscles, etc. Those, those somatosensory neurons um, are actually all over your body and they're the, what's uh, the word I'm looking for? The dendrites are then connected basically to your skin so you can feel things. And the more, de more, more sensory neurons you have in some part of your skin, the more fine-grained sensations you can make, right? So, or you have, rather. Uh, so you can tell, where, where, do you think the, where, where do you think the most Neurons are like uh, somatosensory neurons in your body. What part of your skin, what would you think? Go ahead. What part of the skin? Yeah, where, where in your body would you get the most sensitive, uh, the most neurons? Fingers. Where? Fingers is a good one, that's true. Where's another one? John, you got So um, 
So it, uh, it begins on my head as well. You think so? What do you do with your head? Do you do a lot of this? No. Whereas you pick things up and manipulate them with your fingers. Think of it that way. It's not on top of your head. No. Oh, right, right. No, it's fine. If you feel bad. At least you try it. Go ahead. The feet. Feet. No. Because think about this. When you're born, one of the things they do is they take blood from you when you're a baby. You know where they take the blood from? Your heel. Like, because it doesn't have a whole lot of... And also, we stand on our feet. And up until about 7,000 years ago, we didn't have shoes. So your feet would get hurt. You don't, you don't want to have to stop constantly when you're chasing a mastodon going, yeah, but, I think I stepped on a stone. <laughs> you know, it screws up the whole thing. So good guess, but no. Other, there's two other parts. Somebody else. It's fine, John. I'm glad you want to do it, but let's see if anybody else until, if anybody else has it, we'll, we'll try John again. Okay, what's your guess? So um, that would be my, um my shoulder? No. What do you do with your shoulder? Do you do a lot of manipulating objects with your shoulder? No, I don't. No, you don't. Wait, go ahead. Your tongue? Your tongue, your mouth, your lips, yes. Very good. There's one other place. Genitals. Yep. Of course. Right? Think about what the most sensitive parts of your body are. So this makes sense to have on your fingers. It makes sense to have it on your lips because you can put things in your mouth. If you put the wrong thing in your mouth, you die. And of course, here, just, you know, have a good time. So, where do you think you have the least? Go ahead. Near. Where? Near back. Yep, that's the right answer. Right between your shoulder blades. Again, we don't back up a lot. Right, we don't do this. Well, I'll get that saber-toothed tiger. <laughs> I was holding a spear. Did you notice that? I was doing that for added excitement. So, you can actually, it's kind of cool. Um, I don't have any paper clips. No, I don't. One of the things you know, what I would like you to try yourself, just for the hell of it, um, if you have a friend who you trust implicitly, take, like a, if you have a set of calipers, this is even better. But if you don't, even just a, a what do you call it, a, a paper clip, put it a couple of millimeters apart further into your finger, you'll feel there's two, two things touching, or your lips. Don't, yeah. So, <laughs> so you do that, your eyes closed, and you'll get them right all the time. Then do it on your back, you can go about 10 centimeters apart, and you can't tell if there's two stimuli and one stimulus. You go that far apart on your back between your shoulder blades. You gotta touch at exactly the same point. And this is why you need a friend to do this, because you have to, you know, find out your shirt on. So, these things aren't equally distributed, these somatosensory neurons. There's a lot of you in your fingers for manipulating objects. Don't, don't get food in your mouth. And the most important thing we do, which is pass our genes on. Okay. Then we have interneurons. That's these guys here. Look at all, look at this. You think there's some dendrites there? Yeah. One of these Purkinje cells may have as many as 10,000 neuro, uh, other neurons synapsing onto it. There's the association cell, also called a, uh, a stellate cell. It's called that because it's kind of like a star, and stella is, uh, I think that's Latin. Latin? <coughs> stella! Nobody, streetcar name, desire. No culture at all, eh? 
<laughs> or is that just a bad performance? I mean, it could be that. Pyramidal cells are shaped kind of like a pyramid. I like to call them Christmas tree cells because they look more like a Christmas tree than a pyramid to me, but I don't know. Fair enough. And those are, as it says, your cortex. This is in your thalamus. Um, and the Purkinje cell here, that's in your cerebellum. And then motor neurons, now these synapse onto muscles. So there's your first indication that it's not just axon dendrite because your muscles don't have dendrites. But there are cells that synapse right on your muscles. Well, they, yeah, let's just say that. They yeah, synapse right on your muscles. And what you have is a whole bunch of dendrites and you have the one axon that just sits, you know, synapses onto here and it releases neurotransmitter onto a muscle which causes the muscle to contract. Or if it's a different, a different neuron and a different, they use different neurotransmitter, it'll cause it to relax. So you're constantly, as you walk around the room, like I'm doing right now, you are constantly releasing neurotransmitters onto your muscles. And that is causing your muscles to contract so you can move around. It's very cool. Good. So, um, duh. So, so when getting cramps, do my um, oh, muscles uh, get strained? That's oh. a good, that's a good, I don't know how cramps work. <laughs> so you'd have to ask somebody else. That's, that's, that's an interesting question. I don't know the answer. Yeah. I get all kinds of bad muscle cramps. You must get it from me. I get, I get bad ones sometimes. Yeah. Mm. So my uh, nerves get... Whoops. What did I just do? Get, kind, kind of get when, um, when you're trying to move your hand. Oh, no, I know what you mean. I know exactly the kind of thing you're talking about. I, I just don't know exactly what causes yeah. it. Yeah. Okay, is that where I was? Yeah, different types of neurons. Okay, so that's some neurons. Oh, yes, please. So for the um, <coughs> somatosensory neurons, yeah. those are ones that will replace, right? Yes, 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 yeah, yeah. Those, those can be, because they are in your peripheral nervous system. Well done. But all those other ones will not. Yes, well done. Is it connecting the material? That's exactly what I want you to do. Very good. Synapses are a pretty recent discovery. When I say recent, jeez, uh, 150 years. That's, that's recent enough. That's pretty recent. But earlier on, this is mostly because of just microscopy. Just microscopes weren't good enough. But a guy named Sherrington figured this out early, much earlier. So they're probably even 100, it's probably closer to 100 years than 150. Because Sherrington's more like 150 years. So what Sherrington did is he had these uh, dogs, and they were called they were spinal dogs. A spinal dogs, you take a dog and you sever its spinal column, so it, there, no messages can go from its brain to its spinal column. I'm not saying it's nice, and people don't tend to do this kind of work anymore because we don't have to. But you've got this spinal dog, and this is a way you know we can test what are called spinal reflexes. So for example, if I make, and if I go into the animals. Uh, spine and I take an electrode and put it on some part of the spine, it will make the animal move. So what Sherrington did is he found out, he, he found a part of the spine that moved one of the legs and looked at it. Great. He also knew how long that distance is because he had a tape measure, like <laughs> so many centimeters. But he also knew how fast nervous transmission was in a neuron. That had been determined already. So within a cell, 
And they did this, this was done originally with um, giant squid neurons, which are, and I kid you not, they're that long. They're great big things. So it's, it, they, they, it's like at a macro level. And they figured out, and people pretty much figured out that the speed of nervous transmission was about 100 meters per second, which is like, you know, that's actually incredibly slow considering it seems like we do everything instantaneously. Okay, and then he stimulated the animal and its leg lifted, but it lifted too late, later than it should have. And he did it again, he thought, well, it's gotta be a problem with my equipment. Did it again, did it again, and finally, oh, I, guess, I guess there's gotta be something else. It's not just a direct connection from the neurons. There must be something slowing everything down. And that's what he surmised, there must be a gap between neurons. And he was right. Uh, so these chemical messages, that's what neurotransmitters are, go between one neuron to the next neuron to the next neuron, or onto a muscle or whatever. They can feed, a neuron can feed back onto itself. So you could have a situation where, I don't know space to draw there, I do. So if you had a neuron here, we'll call that neuron A, and then here we're gonna have uh, neuron B that are also synapses onto. Okay, but the thing is, this is also getting stuff from all kinds of other neurons. So there's neurons C, D, and E. The thing is, neuron A might also feed back onto itself and connect back to itself. So it can regulate, it can regulate itself. It could also be the case that you could have C, let's say, then connecting up here to a neuron F that goes back to neuron A. So we can get these feedback loops, okay? So it's not just that, 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 all right, so there can be these feedback mechanisms. Hmm. There's excitation inhibition. So excitation means it makes the next neuron fire. It makes it more likely to fire. And inhibition makes it a little less likely, the next neuron a little less likely to fire. The neuron's always trying to stay in a state of not firing. When I say trying, it's not like it's conscious of it, but you know, it's trying to stay in a steady state where it's not firing. It's trying to stay off. Okay? It's trying to stay off. You can make it a little more likely to fire by having an excitatory connection. And you make it a little less likely to fire by having an inhibitory connection. And these, it's a relatively complex thing. And it's basically a set of calculations each neuron has to do to determine whether it should fire or not. We'll get into how that works, but that's what goes on. Yep. Um, for your drawing that you just had up, that yep. like could connect to the axon, could connect to like a couple other neurons and itself. Yes. Um, is the information coming in from the dendrites is, and getting sent out to the axon, like is it 
getting sent to every axon, like all gets the same message, or is like just one axon getting like Okay, axon? each neuron only has the one axon. Yeah, sorry, the one axon, like the, the one branch. Like is it getting one message right. or like it all six of them getting the message? Or? That depends. <laughs> if only the world were as simple as I'd be able to say, uh-huh. Um, but no, it's not, it's not that simple. Often yes, but just as often no. So that's also part of why it takes so long. And it's also the case that this should, again, show you how difficult it would be to rewire anything but the simplest thing in a, in a brain. Because just think of all these connections. Think about that Purkinje cell that had like you know, 10,000 dendrites. You know, and you can't go into a surgery and go, okay, well, work on this neuron. And then this one. Well, there's only 10, 10 to the 14th left. I'll be done sometime with the heat death of the universe, but You'll all be hooked. you'll be dead by then. So will I, but you'll be fine. Um, so this is showing that the, it's incredibly complicated. And one of the things that happens is, so let's see, how many connections do we have here to A? One, two, three, four. Okay, this is actually an okay thing to use. So we've got all these connections to A, because if I, I'd use the board. You know what I'm going to do? No, I'm not going to do that. Screw it. So. If this connection to A, and this connection to A, and this one, and all, so that's what we got F, we've got C, we've got D and E are all synapsing onto A, right? And then A is also synapsing back onto itself, which is annoying. Let's say these are all excitatory connections. So if they all make it a little more likely for the neuron to fire, and they all happen roughly at the same time, fires. Because if this one, if uh, that's, is that F? Yeah. If F to A happens and then C to A happens and D, they all happen at the same time, it's really likely that this thing's going to fire. But if this happens and then it's like 20 seconds later, this happens, nothing. Because it's always trying to get back to I don't want to fire. So that's what's called a temporal window. It's time. So the connections have to be excited like to be fired in a, uh, at the same time, roughly, at the same time. They also have to be roughly at the same place on the neuron. That's the spatial part. Now, I don't have that on this little shitty picture here. But if we had, if they were all in the same place, it's more likely to fire. The same part of the neuron. So it's a somewhat cal uh, complicated calculation each neuron has to make to sort of tally up the votes. So it tallies up the votes of should I fire or not. And there are yes and no votes. Some of the votes are inhibitory, those are no votes. Some of them are excitatory, those are yes votes. And they all have to happen at roughly the same time and in roughly the same place. Okay. So you can see it's incredibly complicated. I mean, my, my job is to make it as, as simple as possible, but it's not, it's, it's not, it's a non-trivial thing that's happening. And we'll get more into spatial and temporal summation and all that stuff uh, and temporal sp and spatial windows. I just wanted to mention it now. Then there's glial cells. Hey, look, it's glial cells. Glial cells do the support function, support functions for the brain, uh, for the nervous system. So we have these different cells here. 
We've got an epidymal cell. Uh, they secrete cerebrospinal fluid. Remember we talked about CSF and how your brain's sitting in a bag that's filled with CSF? Well, they, these guys make it. Okay, an astrocyte, they're called astrocytes because again, they're shaped like a star. Astro, astro is Latin, that I do know, so Stella must be Greek. They're star-shaped, um, they do nutrition and support. So they're, they're basically bringing food to neurons. Microglial cells, um, they do defense, they're, 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 they fight infections. They also take out uh, foreign bodies. Those foreign bodies can also, by the way, be dead neurons. Like they'll eat dead neurons. Yeah. So, um, so can animals can, can can animals eat dead neurons? When <laughs> well, they do. Dead. Yeah, people do. People even do. People eat brains. I, I wouldn't. But yeah, if you eat neuro, you eat neurons. You're eating. You know, frankly, um, there are neurons in all kinds of things. If you ever eat, I'm trying to think, well, you definitely would be eating neurons. If you ever eat heart, you're definitely, there's neurons in there. But yeah, there's, so other animals eat them, yeah. But this is inside the brain on a very small level, right? Then over here we've got one of my favorite words, because this is one of those words I've never heard said out loud. I only have ever seen it written down. I think I pronounce it differently every time I say it. And that's oligo, <laughs> see, I just screwed up again. Oligodendroglial cells, right? They make myelin in the brain and the spinal column. Remember I said they make myelin. Remember I talked about the myelin sheath around the axons? And Schwann cells do the same thing, except they do it in the peripheral nervous system. Schwann cells easy. It's named after a guy named Schwann. I can say that. Oligodendroglial. It's a little more complicated. All right. So these all cells all have different functions. We're going to talk a lot about glial cells because they're boring to me. So they serve a repair function. It's basically what a glial cell does. That's some of the many functions. So let's say you get a deep cut like I had in my thumb. Um, if you've got a deep enough cut, now I, I, it, was, it was numb, and in fact, this little part of my, where it's uh, healed now, it's still numb, right? It's numb still. It eventually won't be, but right now it is. So you get a deep cut, you might get paralysis. So if you've got a really bad cut in your arm or something, let's not think about that, but let's say you've got a bad cut, you're getting, because the, the neurons are cut, you can't move if there's no neurons, right? So the first thing that happens is that the old axon dies. And then microglia, so microglial cells and Schwann cells, they go into the pathway where the axon was and they eat it. They just remove it. And they, which clears away for a new axon. Okay. When I cut myself, was it last? Try Monday. I think it was last Monday. I cut, when I cut myself with my mandolin, and I was bleeding, but it wasn't that bad. But I, I knew it was going to bleed. I had my hand up in the air because it was going to bleed until you know, it bled a lot. But I was thinking, okay, so what's happening now is microglial and Schwann cells are now going to eat at the old axons there. Um, the neuron, now, if the neuron, if you're lucky, 
but the neuron may still be alive, but the axon was cut, so the neuron, the neuron just spread a new axon. But you might need to grow new, ax new neurons. And also, this takes time. So while my, the cut itself is healed, it, like I said, it still feels numb, and it probably will for quite a while. Okay. So it basically, it finds the path that was already there and grows. Okay. It's really a shame this doesn't happen in the central nervous system, because then we could, just our brains would rewire. So then if you had a stroke or a tumor or something, and they'd take part of your, you know, because that means things are dead, it can reboot, <laughs> so rebuild itself, and that's, that's no. Um, there's a chemical release called no-go, which is great that it's called no-go, uh, that actually stops neural growth. So the neurons would grow <laughs> in your central nervous system, but there's, a chemical release called no-go, this is no, 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 okay. Now remember, it's an incredibly complicated thing in your central nervous system compared to the peripheral. James? Um, where is that stored in the, uh, between, in the synapse? Which is, it's not really stored anywhere. It's, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Synthesized by glial cells when there's an injury. Yeah. There's been some success actually trying to block no-go. Now, you're not going to be rewiring brains, but spinal column is simplish. So if you could actually fix the dorsal and ventral root, you could get rid of, per you know, you could cure people being quadriplegic. That'd be cool. Um, uh, using... Uh, sort of microtubules. So in other words, what you do is you just block off, and you, when the neuron's gonna grow, you actually put carbon microtubules. Uh, there's been some success there, stem cells as well. So I imagine, and there's like animal models where they've been able to, the rats have been able to walk again. This'll happen in our lifetime. That People, somebody will break their neck and they'll get fixed. Good. Um, does a no-go stop um, axon growth or neuron growth? Oh, that's a neat question. I'm just thinking. Probably both, but I'm not entirely sure. So then with technically like someone who has paralysis, wouldn't they have to be like Well, what happens is, so are you saying that you'd be afraid that the, the, the no-go would go everywhere? Well, because if, like, the cells that aren't, or the neurons that aren't being used yes. are, if they die and then get yep. eaten or whatever, yep. um, then the no-go would have to create new neurons. Yes. Well, the no-go doesn't Or the no-go stops it from That's creating right. new neurons. Yes. Okay. So yes. Would be able to fix paralysis because new neurons would grow. New, exactly. Okay. Yes, and that's why what you do in this—that's why the spinal column and, and getting rid of paralysis is probably the, the best place we're going to at least start to get growth of in the central nervous system again. That's significant because what you could do is you can isolate it. The notion using like carbon microtubules and these these tubes are—you measure the size of them in nanometers. They're very small. 
Um, but it then allows a, an axon to grow down through there without no-go going and going, stop that. Right, yeah. So that will happen in our lifetime. Like I, I expect people to be able to walk again. Uh, yeah, she got to follow up. Excellent. So, but wouldn't essentially no-go then be a good thing in a sense as long as you're not injuring yourself? Just because otherwise, if you didn't have no-go, would you be producing too many neurons? Oh, no, no, no. It's not always being produced. It's produced when you get uh, an injury. An injury. Yes, yes. Yes, John. So um, when you get, after you get injured, yes. you have... So you, uh, for example, do you get a bandage to cover the uh, injury? It's kind of like a bandage. It's not a bad way of looking at it because it's kind of like what happens is if you think about what a carbon micro thing would, microtubule would do, if you had, I should draw a picture. Um, if you had, let's draw a little picture here. So if you had this neuron here, and then you got another neuron here, and you've got an injury. So what you, want, what you would want is to get a new, new axon there. Yeah. But that doesn't happen because no-go comes in. But what if we could basically, like you said, put a bandage? So if we put a little tube here, then it can grow. Yeah. Because the tube kind of acts like a bandage. Sure. Yeah. That's a So there's, it will happen. In our lifetime, I think. Maybe mine, probably yours, probably mine too, though. There's been success with this, so I, I imagine this will happen. All right. Uh, all right, so let's talk about some elements that are in the nervous system. Not a Honda element. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, that's a long time ago. That's him. And that's me, and I look, you know, different than I do. All right. So what do all these different elements do? We have hydrogen, of course. Carbon, gee, big surprise, is carbon. That's <laughs> being living things. Um, oxygen's important. No, oh, that's weird. Nitrogen. Uh, now, nitrogen can be important because certain nitrous, uh, yeah, certain nitrous compounds can act as neurotransmitters. Uh, nitric oxide and nitrous oxide, for example. Uh, calcium, oh, calcium's really important. We'll talk a lot about calcium because one of the things that calcium helps your nervous system do is you can, it, it, the difference, you know, let's have a word for this. One of the things that calcium does is when, it allows your nervous system to detect when a neuron has fired. That's all I'm gonna say. We'll get into how later. Potassium, sure. That's not potassium, that's phosphorus. That's potassium. Uh, potassium's kind of important too, along with, not silicon, but, or sulfur rather, sodium. Sodium and potassium are incredibly important because there's all these little things called sodium-potassium pumps. They're little chemical pumps that are all over neurons. And they pump sodium and potassium in and out and what that allows you to do is it, it, it makes neurons fire or not fire. They keep a charge across the membrane of the cell. And chlorine's really important too. Chlorine's really important too. Uh, chlorine, sodium makes a neuron more likely to fire. Remember I said there's 
excitatory connections and inhibitory connections. Excitatory connections allow sodium into a neuron, which makes it more likely to fire. Chlorine, inhibitory connections allow chlorine into the neuron, which makes it less likely to fire. In just one second. And we're going to go into this, obviously, in much more detail. We're mostly going to talk about sodium, potassium, and, and calcium, and chlorine. The other ones, they may come up. All right, go ahead. So uh, on the topic, what you said, yes. is it like uh, firing a, a car exhaust pipe? It's kind of like that. Firing is a strange term. I, I always wonder why we use that word, but it's kind of like firing a gun or pulling a bow. If you want to think of it like, a, like a, an exhaust in a car, the problem with that is that that's a, the result of a lot of other processes. I like the idea of shooting an arrow. Yeah. Because like that, and think about this. When you're holding an arrow, it's not firing. Right? Yeah. But you're having to use a lot of energy. If you ever use a bow and arrow, you have to use a lot of energy to pull the arrow back. And to hold it in place uses a lot of energy. So while the, technically that arrow is, quote, at rest, there's a lot of energy being expended to keep it at rest. So it's, I, I like that analogy better than, say, for example, a car um, or even a gun. Because in a car, there's all kinds of potential energy, obviously, in the gasoline or the electricity that we're using, diesel. But and the same thing with a gun, there's a lot of potential energy in a cartridge, but there's, I can feel the potential energy when I'm holding back a bow. And it reminds me of how much energy has to be taken and used up by a neuron to not fire. All right. Hey, a diagram. So I just want to show you some of this because this is just, these are basically things you learned in grade 10. Right. The most important thing here, we got a nucleus that contains cell uh, chromosomes and such. Yeah, there's a nuclear membrane, endoplasmic reticulum, mitochondria. Mitochondria is important because what a mitochondria do is they're the power plants of the cell. There's a lot of mitochondria in neurons, as you can imagine, because they're using so much energy. And what a, what a, what a mitochondria do? Basically, they convert glucose into ATP, which is the fuel cells run. Right. So this is just, I'm just trying to give you an idea here that these are all parts of a cell, but they're basically the same kind of parts of any cell that you're used to. Right? Like any animal cell has, um, except for blood cells, has uh, a cell nucleus, etc. Okay. Ooh. Yeah, that's okay. We can let's well let's start with genes. Any any other questions about cells before we just one sec, John, see if anybody else has anything? Any questions about the cell stuff before we move on to the gene stuff? Um, oh, go ahead. Uh, going off of what Kendra was asking before, yes. which types of neurons can Repair themselves or regrow? Mm -hmm. Would it also be things like motor neurons because they're in the peripheral? Yes. Like what specific ones we can talk about? Oh, we've talked about them. Can grow? Yeah. Uh, sensory and motor. Okay, so not interneurons. Oh, interneurons. Yeah, the interneurons in the peripheral system can
uh, bipolar only in the... Yes, they, they won't be rewrote, no. Okay. Yeah. So the only category that absolutely cannot, because it's only in central, yeah. would be bipolar. And for Kinji. And for Kinji, absolutely. And pyramidal. Yeah. <coughs> there are, there are in, why you, most of you, you're mostly interneurons, mm -hmm. right? Because interneurons are every neuron that isn't a motor or a sensor neuron. Mm -hmm. Okay. So most interneurons wouldn't be able to be replaced because most of them are in your brain. But there's other ones that are in your legs. Mm -hmm. Those can be replaced. So those would be association then? Uh, we wouldn't call them that in the neurons of the cortex. Yeah, we would call we just call them interneurons in that case. Yeah. And there are neurons in the human body that are that have axons that are 30 and 40 centimeters long, which I find incredibly creepy for some reason. Like there are actually neurons that come from your spinal column that go right down your spine. Like, and that's I don't know, but you I just find it weird. And I find, I don't want to think about it. It shouldn't bother me, but it does. So at that point they're just called interneurons? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Previously, from what Kendra and Jamie said, yeah. does the um, central structure contain the uh, chromosomes? Oh, okay. They're, all neurons have chromosomes. Yeah. The only cells in your body that don't have chromosomes are what? Red blood cells, right? Yeah, yeah. they all do. They all do. Because remember, what they're going to do is they're going to create one of the things that the, the chromosomes, that the, the genes do, is they actually have the, the programmed for making neurotransmitters. So a lot of the neurotransmitters that we have, we just get from food. When you eat certain foods, they're living things that have neurotransmitters in them. On the other hand, some you make yourself. So some that you actually sort of rule your own, right? So like we make our own delta-9 tetrahydrocannabinol. That's THC, this, the, the, the fun stuff in, in, in cannabis. Um, we make our own CBD. We make our own opiates. We also make our own epinephrine. Like, but we also, we can ingest it too. A glutamate, the most common neuro, a neurotransmitter in the human, in any nervous system is glutamate, right? And we eat glutamate. We love glutamate. Monosodium glutamate, MSG, it's delicious. And it doesn't, there's nothing bad about it. Do you know what, you know, you know what causes people to get, get, oh, I feel bad from MSG? Racism. I'm serious, because it was in Chinese food. That's where that comes from. Because you know where else there's glutamate? Cheese, tomatoes, it's all over the place. All right, let us speak of genes, cells, proteins, and bacon. So, uh, right. This is a quote from Donald Hebb. Donald Hebb uh, is the, might have the Western not going to be in this class, in which case, go away. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Hebb is the father of cognitive neuroscience. He was, remember I told you about Brendan Milner the other day? He was her PhD advisor at the Montreal Neurological Institute. If you ever watch a Canadian football game and you see the end zone in Montreal, one of the end zones, there's a building at McGill University. That's where Hebb was. In fact, it's right beside the Hebb building, which is the psychology building. And Hebb said trying to determine how much of a behavior is due to, due to genes and how much is due to the environment is like trying to determine how much of the area of a field is caused by its length and how much is caused by its width. 
What this is saying is that the nature nurture argument is a giant waste of your time. Don't worry about it. Well, that's genetic. No, that's environmental. No, you're both idiots. You can't have genes without an environment. You can't have an environment. Well, you can have an environment without genes, but it's not that interesting for our purposes. The cold vacuum of space has no genes in it, but I mean, we also don't last a long time in that without, you know, lovely suits. So the point here is, what Hebb is saying is, looking at an individual behavior and trying to determine if it's genetic or environmental is a waste of your time. Whoops. It's always both. It's always both. Well, I got coffee on <coughs> a little bit. Oh, well, I do the laundry, so it's my problem. Okay. I'm going to give you some key terms. Um, chance of this coming up on a test is unlikely, but I think it's important to know these terms, frankly. So, uh, a gene. A gene is the simplest unit of her heritability, that's one way to put it. It's also, you know, got a technical, uh, the, other de the other definition, which is based on having a start and a stop codon that codes for proteins, but the simplest unit of heritability is probably the easiest one. Your genotype is all your genes. All your genes is your genotype. Your phenotype is all your characteristics, your outward characteristics. And that includes behavior. You, you know what chromosomes are. Uh, collection of genes is good enough. A locus, each chromosome and also each genes have different, of course, places. We don't call them places, we call, them, we call it a locus. Locus is a Latin word, it means location. So we get the word location and local and localize and all kinds of other words that sound like that. So it's a locus on a, on a, on a, gene, on a, a gene or a uh, chromosome. Allele, an allele is an alternate form of a gene. So you know that we have genes that help determine the color of our eyes, right? And if you get, if your genotype And it's not quite this simple, but for illustrative purposes, this is fine. If your genotype is big B, big B, you get brown eyes. If your genotype is big B, little b, you get brown eyes. If your genotype is little b, big B, you get brown eyes. You only get blue eyes with this one, with little b, little b. Okay? Those different Bs, they're still eye color genes. They're still eye color genes. They're just different forms of them, different alleles. And you got one from dad, one from mom. Okay. Uh, cells can either be diploid or haploid. A diploid cell has, it's like this, it's got pairs of genes, it's got pairs of chromosomes. Haploid cells have just one set. The haploids, almost all of our cells are diploid cells. We've got a set of cells that are haploid cells. Those are gametes, right? So, sperm and egg. 
Okay. A zygote is when uh, two sets in humans, at least, and a lot of other animals too, when two sets of uh, gametes meet up together. Genes can be recessive, like this one, little b, or they can be dominant, like the big B. So when you have big B, little b, you don't get something between brown and blue. You get brown, because brown dominates the blue. Okay? So that means the blue one is recessive. I didn't spill any coffee that time. I'm an adult. I know how to drink out of a cup. Out of a glorified sippy cup. Uh, Oh, you can be homozygous, whoops, or heterozygous, right? So this is homozygous, they get the, they're the same. This is homozygous, it's the same. These two are heterozygous. Because they're different. Okay. So that's just some terms, just so you know the terms. Uh, I will never ever test you on this. You are, this is not grade 10 biology. Um, the point of this is that the chromosomes, when you, this is making, you know, gametes basically, the chromosomes don't just split off. They also, as you can see, yeah, here we go, you can see here, they end up splitting into different parts. So you get some red, some blue, in this case, red, one's from father, one's from mother. Yeah, so the red, on this diagram, the red is from father, blue is from mom, you can see how it splits up that they're all a little bit different. They're all a little bit different. All right, uh, let's see, I've got one more thing I think I want to bring up and that'll be it. Um, so each sex cell end is just a little bit different, which makes sense. Think about it, you don't look and act just like your brother or your sister. Okay, uh, on that note, I think we'll pack it in uh, for, the, for the week, actually, and I'll see you all on Monday. Thanks, everybody.
So thanks for listening uh, to the lecture. I hope you got something out of it, as I noted in the intro. Um, these are copyrighted, uh, share like 3.0 Canada, uh, some rights reserved, so you can redistribute this all you want, but if you redistribute it, uh, you can't make any money off of it. Uh, and also, uh, if you mash it up, I get to mash up your stuff. Uh, most of the mu the vast majority of the music I found was on an old website called GarageBand, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and then it was called PodSafe Music. So this is all music that I have, uh, that it's perfectly reasonable to, uh, put on these podcasts. Uh, if you are interested, I can oftentimes find the, the name of the band. The name of the band will be listed in the post. And uh, go look these bands up and, and buy their music. Because um, if they're cool enough to let me use this, you should be cool enough to pay 99 cents or whatever to buy one of their songs. Uh, on that note, I will see you next time.